Uh, this is our last talk uh, from the book of Revelation. My name's Adam Draycott. It's great to be sharing God's word with you today. Uh, it's true, I poked my poo with a stick. Uh, I turned 50. The government sent me my birthday present in the mail to remind me of this milestone. And of course, I'm talking about the bowel cancer test. Is bowel cancer a thing? Well, it's our nation's second biggest killer. Does early detection today increase the chances of beating it tomorrow? Absolutely. As I consider my children's age, I want to be around in the future to provide for them and watch them grow and thrive. I believe it's better for them to have their dad around than not. And so these future possibilities shape my actions today. Because the future, with its possibilities, is before me, the temporary unpleasantness today is doable. And so this is a classic example where my belief about tomorrow affects my behaviour today. And so I poke my poo with a stick. There it is. Uh, I need to pray. As I pray, I'm going to ask God to show us the future glory to give us a focus on what is to come that we might better endure the present sufferings of this world. And I'm going to pray like Jonathan Edwards did, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we pray that you would show us the future glory, give us such a focus on what is to come that we might better endure today and the present sufferings of this world. Lord, stamp eternity on our eyeballs. Uh, show us uh, the book of Revelation. Show us the glory and wonder that is your son, Jesus. Help us to fix our eyes on him. Lead us in the way of repentance and faith. Amen. Okay, so if Jesus is victorious, how do you think this is going to finish? Maybe that was John's question also as he headed towards the conclusion of this book. Maybe that's a question that you can pause and consider now and share amongst others. How do you think this is going to end? Uh, so hit the pause button. How do you think this is going to end? Go. Well, how did you go? Satan defeated? Yeah. Jesus wins? Yeah. Did you talk about heaven and all that it will be and what it will be like? Um, I hope you did. Um, what follows now in this Bible talk, uh, a number of surprising things about the end. Some of them are not only surprising but downright shocking. And all of them are important because, remember, what we believe about the future shapes our life today. So here's the first one. Surprise number one. The devil is such a loser, he is even opposed to himself. In Revelation chapter 17, uh, we meet Babylon described as a prostitute. Uh, verse 1, 
Chapter 17, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and said, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters with her kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Adultery, adultery, adultery. You get the idea? Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. That's John. I bet he was. So just as the woman from chapter 12 embodies the people of God, here the prostitute embodies those who are not the people of God. The world, its kingdoms. And it's particularly focused on those who actively oppose God, those who persecute God's people. She rides a beast, verse 7, looks really a lot like the dragon from chapter 12, the one we know as Satan. If anything, we know it's certainly the same team. He wears the same colours, so to speak. Her name's Babylon, enemy of God, that's easy. Old Testament Babylon starved God's people out, destroyed the temple, took Israel out to captivity, dashed babies' heads on rocks, all of those lovely things. Not. And maybe for John, Babylon is symbolic of Rome because Rome does all those things. They destroy the temple in AD 70. Rome persecutes God's people, feeds Christians to lions douses them in bitumen and lights them up as human outdoor candles. And ultimately, these enemies of God, whether it's Babylon or Rome or whoever, they are literally saddled with the devil. And the devil, through this woman and through the kingdoms of this world, wages war against the Lamb. Look at verse 14. They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he's the Lord of lords and the King of kings and with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. And how does it work out? Oh, look at verse 15. The angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are the peoples, multitudes, nations and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin. What? And leave her naked. What? They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. What? Here it is. Can you see the spawn of the devil eat their own? Here is a self-destructive kingdom. It is a divided kingdom, the kingdom of the devil. Some feast on the corpse, 
that was the prostitute, verse 16, while others, chapter 18, onwards, they're going to lament and they're going to be mourning. Oh no, Babylon is no more. How sad is that? They think it's a sad thing. But can you see, the devil wants nothing good for those who are his. The devil wants nothing good for you, whoever you are. He makes war on everybody, whether it's God, Jesus, his church, and now his allies, those that are his. And he wants to destroy everyone, which is why in chapter 9, verse 11, he's called the destroyer. Not without good reason. And it gets you thinking about the nature of this kingdom of the devil. And is this why self-destructive behaviour is so bad for us? Like greed or lust or immorality or drunkenness or gossip. All those vices really find their origin in the devil. And then it reminds me about character and how character is formed in the company we keep. That bears thinking about as well. If we are asking the Lord to stamp eternity on our eyes, will we see this? Do we see the marks of the kingdom of the devil? Do we see that in the story of world history, the devil is the biggest loser there ever was and he wants you to be a loser with him too? The devil is such a loser, he is even opposed to himself. That's the first surprise. Here's the second surprise. There's no escaping Jesus. Chapter 14, verse 9. We're going to go back a little bit. Verse 9. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of who? The holy angels and of the Lamb. If the prospect of hell isn't bad enough, can you imagine experiencing it whilst the Jesus the Lamb watches on? This would be like going to prison, right, and having your mum visit. That that would be that would make me feel nauseous. Just even thinking about it. this is way worse because this is a constant reminder of God's invitation of grace. Right there. You got it wrong. Uh, The cross is right there. The slain lamb of God who died for your sins, who paid the penalty, the one you said no to is right there. We know that Jesus appeared once to save, John 3, 16 and 17. He will appear again to judge. And so people will spend eternity with Jesus either as objects of grace or as objects of judgment. Either way, there's no escaping Jesus. That might be a surprise to you, but there it is. There is no escaping Jesus. And so, friends, it's much better to face eternity as his friend, isn't it? Maybe as John reads this, maybe John sees vindication here. Behind these horrible images, all of them lies this reality that the eternal wrath of God rests on those who reject and oppose him and make war against his people. 
And maybe John is actually comforted by these images of justice as God's kingdom finally comes in. He is comforted by God's judgment on sin and death and evil. He reflects and goes, yeah, this isn't for nothing. This isn't for nothing. I'm suffering. And it doesn't feel like it at the moment, but I am on uh, the team uh, of the Lamb who holds the ultimate victory. I wouldn't trade that for anything, even this present temporary suffering. See, we pray your kingdom come all the time, don't we? We pray deliver us from evil all the time. And here it is. Here it is. Much more vivid and graphic, yeah, but here it is. Uh, This also tastes like the 23rd Psalm, if you remember it, sort of, where the Lord, he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, doesn't he? Or fear no evil, for you are with me, or rod and staff, they comfort me. But then the Lord prepares a table before me, doesn't he? In the presence of who? In the presence of my enemies. And so this is a classic post-battle victory celebration in the 23rd Psalm. And maybe this is a touch of that. As the martyred saints cry, how long? In chapter 6, we come to chapter 14 and we get an answer that, that screams vindication and triumph. But nonetheless, verse 12 of chapter 14, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. So that's the second thing. Remember, there's no escaping Jesus. All right, here's the third thing. There's no battle. Often you might hear about the great end time battle called Armageddon. I think they've tried to make movies about it. Can I say Armageddon, it's a place. From Nazareth, you can look across the fertile plains of Megiddo and the Jezreel Valley. It is rich in agriculture. But this is also a famous theatre of ancient war. It's a major trade route and all that. Uh, in Judges 6 and 7, it's in this place that Israel's enemies were said to be as thick as locusts. Oh, we've had a glimpse of that, haven't we, in chapter 9. Uh, it's the place where the Egyptian Pharaoh Necho killed the Israelite king Josiah. Uh, Armageddon just literally means mountain of Megiddo. There's been lots of wars fought there. But anyway, you want to you know about a battle? Okay, well, this is how it happens. Chapter 16, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Bad guys a bit back. They are demonic spirits that perform signs. And they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of the Lord Almighty. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And what happens next? Verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air 
And into the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done! And then there are lightning, peals of thunder, big earthquake. It's chapter 6 again, chapter 8 again. How many times can the book of Revelation sustain an earthquake? It happens and happens and happens. And How about chapter 19, uh, verse 11? I saw heaven standing open there, and before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. We like this guy. Uh, with justice he judges and wages war. Okay, now I'm nervous again. But we like him. His eyes are like blazing fire. Ring any bells? Uh, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. Okay, he's one of the good guys. We like him. The, aim, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword uh, with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you ready for the battle? Verse, let's drop down to verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. And that's it. Goes on and tells you other things. What happened to the battle? The other chapter, 16, just said, it is finished, it is done. Here, the bad guy's captured. And you, where's the battle? Where's the struggle? Where's the tactics? Where's the strategy? Where's the arm wrestle? Where are the shots being fired and the bombs being dropped? And it's not like that. It's game over. Or chapter 20, here's another example. Verse 10, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulphur where the beast and the false prophet are being thrown. They'll be tormented day and night forever. And See, it's done. This is just like, a, there's a new game I play at home. It's just like the chicken game. If I've played it with you, you know how much fun, how much enjoyment I take from the chicken game. I'm going to play it with you now. Are you ready? Ready? Ready for the chicken game. Look at the screen. Go. Did you win? No, I won, didn't I? It's a no contest, right? I won easily. Did you stand a chance? No, you had no chance. But the point remains, I won. Thomas, he loves this game. Uh, but can you see, it's kind of like that. There's no, there's no end time battle between Jesus and the devil. Like there's this big, supersonic, uh, cosmic battle going on can you, can you see how pathetic and impotent the devil is he's the defeated enemy today now today and because he's defeated today that has to shape our mindset going into the future the victory's been won see the comprehensive power and authority of jesus 
Here's a truth about eternity we need to stamp on our eyes. Uh, maybe instead of playing the chicken game, I've got a different game that I thought you might like a bit better. You ready? It's the same kind of principle, but we'll try this one instead. Ready? Go. Did you look at the cross? Did you look at the cross? When we look at the cross, the point is you don't lose, you win. See, with Jesus, we cannot lose. We do not lose. We are with him. We are victorious with him. And this Jesus in chapter 19, isn't he awesome? He's awesome. This is the guy from chapter 1, isn't it? The warrior king with a sword out of his mouth. And speaking of other surprises, did you notice that Jesus has two tattoos? One in verse 12 and one in verse 16. You can look those up in your own time. If you didn't find the tats, one's written on his forehead, a name that no one knows but himself, and he's got a tattoo on his thigh, verse 16. There you go. Here's the fourth surprise. The end of the world is going to happen. I don't know how many times my dad didn't die. There was that time that the Indian Pacific train ploughed into the back of a train he was on. Uh, my mum's specialist checked that out, worked that one out, found a, blo uh, a blood clot in his leg, really dangerous. There was that time dad sneezed so hard he burst a blood vessel in his nose and he nearly bled to death. There was a time where Dad's heart stopped. He collapsed outside Lithgow train station. Then there was the diagnosis of stage four lung cancer where we thought he might die. It was possible he could go before Christmas. And of course, uh, he fought on until July the next year. There's so many clues, aren't there? in those little examples I gave you, that one, the day would come. That surely these little mini-events, which were big at the time, would, would help shape us for the, the final one. But why is it we just think that life is a merry-go-round and it just keeps going, spinning without end? Why do we think life is like that, especially if we're young, <laughs> invincible, but then death comes along? And it's a shock. And death is an intrusion that disrupts us and unsettles us. And it's a lot like this book, the book of Revelation, as we seem to go around and round and round in a spiral and we pick up new details, new things each time we do a lap, new information with every pass. And with every pass of the merry-go-round, the pictures become more vivid, but Revelation says, you know, the merry-go-round, one day it's just, it's just going to stop. That's been a recurring theme. Every time we do a cycle, we see it ends. There's an ending when Jesus will return and meet out his judgment. Jesus will return and he will meet out his judgment. We need to stamp that on our eyeballs. We need to remember the devil is a loser. That there's no escaping Jesus who is the victor. And that is a good thing. 
It's a no contest. The battle has been won. And his return will be right and just and decisive. And those who are his, we will be vindicated. Do you know that? Here's the next surprise. The end is not the end. You think this is the end, but it's actually not. So you look at chapter 21, verse 1. Let me explain. John writes down, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there were, was no longer any sea. Earth gone, heaven gone, sea is gone. But before that, what did John see? He sees a new heaven and a new earth. And then verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I think she was there in chapter 19 as well. And then look at the explanation, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Here is a great promise of scripture that the end is not the end, but a beautiful new beginning, a beautiful new beginning where that snake, that dragon, that beast is not in the garden anymore. That discord that threaded through the original Eden has been banished and done away with here in this garden, in this new place. See that the dwelling place of God also is now among the people that he will come down and dwell with us and we will dwell with him. And so as we stamp eternity on our eyes, do we see that it is here in the new creation, you see, heaven comes down to earth, so to speak. It's a new Eden, but it's better. It's a new earth. It's a new creation. And so the end is not the end. It's a beautiful new beginning, which is why it's such a joy to say that when we farewell Christian brothers and sisters at their funerals. Chapter 22, verse 1, look at the Eden imagery. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. One on each side of the river stood the tree of life, its back, bearing 12 crops, there's that number 12 again, of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer... Will there be any curse? How profound is that sentence right there? Can you imagine a creation without any curse, without any COVID-19, without any broken relationships, without any death, crying, pain, cancer, dementia, the whole box and dice? No more curse because there's no more sin. There's no more evil. 
And this is where we've been heading in the book of Revelation all along. From the Garden of Eden right through to this new garden. The devil from day one doesn't want you to trust and believe that God knows what is best for us and good for us. He doesn't want you to believe that. And maybe as John sits in jail doing it tough, maybe he's tempted to believe that lie like Adam and Eve did. And see this book now give John and all who read this every reason to keep trusting Jesus, to know that this King Jesus is trustworthy. He wants good things for us. He wants the best things for us and the best things we find here. See Jesus, the King, triumphant and victorious. Chapter 22, verse 13. See Jesus, the one beyond time. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And so we worship Jesus, don't we? The one that is bigger than time itself. He transcends it. Verse 14 of chapter 22. See who the blessed are. Blessed are the ones who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. That they may have the right to eat of the tree of life and go through the gates into the city, the very presence of God. We are the blessed. We are those vindicated. Verse 15, outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Okay, we don't want to be that. We want to stamp eternity on our eyes and know what's before us, and this ain't it. And we don't want this for our loved ones either. So we keep pointing people to Jesus. Why? Because verse 16, he's the king. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David. See, he's the king. He's the bright morning star. Letters of royalty are valuable, right? They're worth millions. You get a, a letter from Princess Diana. You'll make a fortune. How much more valuable are these words here of Jesus? Verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of water of life come. Hear the invitation that is before us in the book of Revelation. The invitation is to look at the cross to hunger and thirst for Jesus, to be thirsty for him, to drink from him. It's a free gift of of grace. It's offered to us uh, that we'll be quenched by him, not the fire, (laughs) but the water. Go for the water. Go for Jesus. His invitation is to come to him. And so we continue to pray. Father God, as we consider the book of Revelation, please stamp eternity on our eyeballs that we might thirst for the one we know as Jesus Christ, 
our King and Saviour. So to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.